lead pastor position over to a, a young guy, and I've been on an eight-month sabbatical. So I have not preached. And I'm not really going to preach today, per se. But uh, anyway, it's been a while. It was going to be bad. Yeah. I will see. So Joe and I have been friends for 21 years since I came up to North County to Pioneer Church. <clears throat> and he's been a pastor to me, and he's been a really good friend to me. And we've gone through dif- difficult times in our lives, carried each other through it. And um, Joe, uh, over the years, has clearly had an incredible passion for missions. And so what we talked about today is he has come on Mission Sunday. We'd like to uh, promote one of our missionaries to give you guys exposure to what you're investing in. Every time you give offerings, uh, 15% of our gross offerings go to missions and to the poor. Mm. We've done that from the day we opened the doors. For a decade or more, we gave 20% uh, until a loan institution told us, you guys are giving way too much money to missions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most churches give like a a 1% or less. But we have such a heart for missions. But Joe uh, kept saying to me, you need to go with me on the mission field. And uh, I, I, um, I have never seen Joe more excited than when he talks about missions. Now, he came here, uh, you pioneered New Hope in 1902, was that it? <laughs> Something like that. Pretty well, close. Close enough. Yeah. When did you pioneer? 81. What? 1981. And he just uh, turned the helm of that church, New Hope, right off the 56. You can see it right off the right 56 next to uh, the big Catholic church there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this year, he turned it over to a son, of the, a son, of, a son in the faith of his that he raised up and so um he retired from new hope and spent nine months on a sabbatical just found what god wants him to do for the rest of his life but being that today was mission sunday and he was coming to share with us and his son champ now who now works with him in the ministry uh we decided to do this more of an interview style so i'm going to interview joe about missions he's going to share and then champ's going to come up and talk about the uh, ministry that we have in africa together and give us some of the nuts and bolts um, so I just like to start, and what I like to, Gary, I'm not mic'd properly. We're too close. You have no idea. <laughs> so do we need to change? Should I? I can use a handheld. Give me if I had no, a handheld. Because, will that no, help? No, because Champ's going to use a handheld. Okay. Well, is I, this better? Yeah. This is better. That little bit helped. All right. Okay. We reinstate you as an elder. That was awesome. Huh? Let's. Uh, we're not in the speakers. How about me? Am I in the speaker? All right. I'm not? Okay. Is there something that needs to happen? <laughs> All right. So, yes, here we go. Uh, so, Rick, I'm on up here. So, if you push a button back there and it explodes, then that's on you. All right. So, um, Joe, here's what I want to ask you first of all. And I was thinking about meeting today. You know, um, we've done so much stuff in the city together. We've worked with the high school principals. We've worked with uh, the city officials, worked with the mayor of Poway. We've done a lot of different outreaches and stuff. And you have an amazing church in New Hope. But when you, when I, when you start talking about missions, I see a light go on inside of you. Mm-hmm. And I see a joy come out of you that is markedly different than any other work you're doing. Mm-hmm. What is that about and where did that come from? Okay, I'll share. First, I have to say this, because I don't want to, I want to say, hey, good morning, gathering place. I'll start with that. Uh, it is so good to be here. I feel at home here. 
partially because I know some of you, we've been on trips together, and a lot because of your pastor, one of my best friends, Mm -hmm. and uh, man, you guys, I just want to say, he is, he loves you guys. Mm -hmm. I know, I know a lot of pastors, I know a lot of pastors well around the city, nobody loves his church family more than this guy does, just loves you guys. So if you're looking for a church home and a pastor loves you, you come to the right place, okay? Did I say that right? No, just kidding. No, he he had no idea I was going to say that. He had no idea. And then I want to say, I want to say thank you for uh, your support of Discovering Light. Discovering Light, just real quick, I don't know what all my son was going to say this, but just in case, it, it's, it, uh, it's a ministry specifically focused in Ethiopia to the Arsiaromo people, several million predominantly uh, Muslim people, and our goal is to see kingdom transformation among those people. We launched it about eight, eight years ago. So back to your question, the passion that I have. And yeah. I, what I can say is I had not always had this passion, did not have it at all. Uh, we, gave ten, we do 10%. We've done that for years. So I did that just because that's what we we're supposed to do, but I did not have uh, really much thought for missions. And then in 1995, I begrudgingly, and I really mean begrudgingly, uh, went on my first mission trip to Lithuania. Uh, we were beginning to send teams overseas. I was encouraging our people to go. So I thought, well, if I'm going to be, you know, have any integrity at all, if I'm going to encourage people to go, I need to go. And that's really, that is the only reason I went. And went to Lithuania, which is part of the Soviet bloc, just, you know, four or five years before that, the Soviet wall had come down. And went to Lithuania, this country where the gospel had been hidden, had been blocked, the Bibles had been blocked. It was, I mean, the Soviets did a great job of keeping the gospel under wraps. So there we are, and I'm there the first couple of days honestly wanting to go home and I'll never forget on Wednesday night we were in our hotel and this group of young people gathered and they wanted to hear what we had to share and this one bold man began to share the gospel and they sat there transfixed and I suddenly realized that I was in a whole different place that these were people who had never heard this before they'd never heard it that we were going to be sharing with people who never had even seen a bible and it absolutely, uh, it, it blew me away. And, and all I can say is in that moment, God tackled, he captured, he ravaged my heart. And for two or three weeks, I mean, you just poked me and I began to weep and cry. And just something happened in my heart for, for missions. And in fact, I came back to New Hope we, we were about 14, 15 years old, 14 years old at that time. And I wanted to resign and go on the mission field. That's exactly what I would have done if I could. But God said, no, I want you to stay, and I want you to build a mission-sending center. So that's what we did. So we began to send teams out all over the place, all over the world. Almost every single month, a different team was going someplace out of New Hope. And somehow God provided the resources, and, and it was an amazing time. We were seeing a lot of uh, amazing things. Uh, we adopted the Mayte people group. I'll share more about that in a moment. But then about two years later, 1997, I went on a, uh, to a missions conference. Once again, didn't really want to go. My wife heard the Lord. She hears the Lord better than me, still does to this day. And uh, she said, we need to go to this missions conference. So we went to this missions conference, a place called Glorieta in New Mexico. And a uh, long story there, I'll just share quickly that went to a seminar for three days where this, this man talked about God's heart for the nations. And what I learned in that is, and, and, I, and frankly, I have to say this, after being raised in the church, going to church, I mean, Monday night, Wednesday night, month, Sunday, 
couple times every Sunday, four years in Bible college, three years in seminary. I'd never heard this message of God's heart for the nations. And so what I learned in that, what I saw in that, is that there is a passion, there's a heart underneath all of our activity. And that, that it was God's heart for the nations. God's heart to reach the nation. You see, the, the world is made up of all these people groups, these nations, these different cultural groups who have their own culture, their own way of dressing, their own way of looking, their own language, these tribes, these, na- these nations all over the world. Uh, something like 16, more than 16,000 of them, missiologists estimate. And that God's heart was to reach those nations. And you see this theme all throughout Scripture of God's heart for the nations. And so let me, let me just set this up this way. So, for example, I, I, was, on, I was on a mission trip in, in Bangladesh. And in Bangladesh is literally on the other side of the world. If you look on a globe, we're here. Bangladesh is on the other side of the world. It takes a day and a half, two days to fly there. We'd land in Dhaka. We'd, we then would get on a train, go six miles out to who knows where. We then would get on an, uh, this, this van and go two hours out from there to this outpost that was just a hole in the wall. And there we stayed. I mean, it was just a crazy place. I don't know, Byron, Brian, if you went on one of those trips or not. Maybe you did. I think you did. And then, we'd, and then we would get on this little three-wheel uh, rig that would drive us out. I'll never forget one day. I got on this little three, three-wheel rig with me and my translator. We drove two more, two more hours out to this village. So we were out to this place where people had never seen a person that looked like me, had never heard the gospel. The first time they went in. So the gospel has been around for 2,000 years. They've never heard the gospel. But here's what I want you to see. Is that there's no guarantee that God, that, that any of those people would ever come to know Christ. But here's what God guarantees. That, it, that some from his tribe will be reached. And so there's this theme throughout the scripture that says that all the tribes will be reached. The Great Commission mm. says that we are to go and preach the gospel to what? And baptize all Nations. And this theme of the nations, the tribes, the people groups is seen all throughout the scriptures. I'm going to throw some, some scriptures up here. You can see them for yourself. Just a few. Psalm 869, verse 9. It says, all nations whom thou hast made, and notice it says, shall come. Shall come and worship before thee, O the Lord, and they shall glorify thy name. Isaiah 61, 11. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord will cause Will, will cause, not might, not might, but will cause righteousness and praise to spring before all the nations. Isaiah 66, 18. I am coming to gather all nations, to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. And if you're not sure the message is there yet, there are over 100 scriptures that speak about the nations in the, in the scriptures, Old and New Testament. But then you come to the very end, in Revelation 7, verses 7 through 9, it says it's all going to happen. It says this, after, these are familiar verses I know to you, that after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, mm. clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So here's the guarantee in Scripture. The guarantee is, that, is not that every person will get saved. I wish that were the case. 
I, I remember driving through Bangladesh one time, once again, way out in the middle of nowhere. And I looked way out in the distance and I saw this flicker of light and I said, there's a family that lives down there. Hmm. And I was wondering, who is going to bring the gospel to that person? The reality is, there is no guarantee that anybody will ever bring the gospel to that person, as sad as that is. But this is the guarantee, that from that person's tribe, somebody will get saved. Hmm. From every single tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language, some will get saved saved. That's God's passion. That's His heart. And it's my conviction that every believer, and I know here many of you do, maybe all of you do, I know this church does, that every person somehow taps into it. And that's God's heart. So all I can tell you, John, I can't explain it. I didn't ask for it. I didn't seek it out. God just ravaged my heart. And I can tell you this, and I I'm still, I, you know, I'm in this whole transition. I'm going to be moving into a very different kind of ministry than the public preaching, teaching ministry. But I've asked the Lord, what about this nation's thing? And he said, Joe, it's still there. It's not to go. It's 20, how many years later? Uh, 20, 20 some years later, it's still there. So it's God thing. See? I mean, we could have a cup of coffee at Starbucks and I'd say, so how you doing, Joe? And that would come out. So Joe kept talking to me about uh, going on the missions field, and I was comfortable with us just supporting missionaries financially and sending teams, but I, I didn't really want to go because it's inconvenient and it's uncomfortable. I like my bed, I like my home, I like my TV, I like my family, I like San Diego. I don't want to go to Bangladesh. Who wants to go to Bangladesh besides I you? Uh, I didn't, but I do now. And other places. And so finally he harassed me for like five years. And I finally said, the next time you go on the mission field, I'll go with you. I was hoping he would forget about it. But the next time he went, which was the next year, he said, you promised me. And I am a man of my word. I, I do my best I can. And I'm thinking, I have to go now because I gave him my word. Why did I say that? And so we went to northern India together. Uh, to Manipur, to the Meite uh, people group. And it was the last, it was the 10th year, and you had, uh, you, it was an unreached people group. Unreached means they have never heard the gospel. And so, un, unreached, unengaged. And so, you had been there for nine years. You felt you, you successfully reached that people group. And we came back and we said, why don't we adopt an, an unreached people group somewhere in the world? Where do we want to go? And we didn't know. So we went to E3 with a guy named Dan Heidschusen, who uh, was the leader of E3, which is the missions organization. We spread a map of the world out on the table. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Over at E3, we spread the map out on the boardroom table of the world. And Dan said, I think you guys need to go there. And it was Ethiopia. And we uh, went there. Mm-hmm. And we adopted a people group, the RC Aroma people group. At that time, we knew it as 2 million people, primarily uh, Muslim. And we went the first time, and we saw whole villages come to Christ. It was amazing. People have never heard the gospel before. I remember standing in front of this. We were doing it one at a time, because when you tried to share the gospel with three people at a time, we were doing eyeglasses. They would come to this little room. We would fit eyeglasses, uh, because the little eye chart, because they couldn't sew, they couldn't cook, they couldn't work because their eyes were going dim, because the dust on the streets ruins their eyes. And so we brought all these eyeglasses, which was our our doorway into sharing the gospel 
And after I'd fit him with eyeglasses, then I would share the gospel and nobody was getting saved. So we came back together, we huddled together, said, this isn't working, what's the problem? One of the Muslims said, they won't do it in front of their, their friends or their neighbors because they will get beat or tortured or killed if they give their life to Christ. So we started doing them one at a time. It slowed it down, but they started getting saved like this. I remember this one lady, she was like in her 80s, and she said, I can't receive this, Isa is the name of Jesus. I can't receive Jesus because my husband will beat me if, I, if he finds out. And I said, well, how about you receive Jesus and you don't tell him? And she said, I can do that? I said, yes. And so we prayed together. And after we prayed, I looked into her eyes. And I saw the Holy Spirit in her eyes. And she looked at me. She smiled and her face was glowing. I'm not making this up. It was Jesus. And she said to me, when I'm bowing down in the temple, I will be worshiping Esau. Mm, amen. <laughs> amen. So we came back, and then you went the second time. And when you came back to the second time, you were different. Mm. Something happened to you, and from that point, you started thinking about missions in a completely different way, and you left me behind, and you and Champ ran with us, and I've been supporting you guys, but you guys pioneered something unique, and it is now bearing a ton of fruit. What happened mm, to you? Yeah. Yeah. On that second trip back to Ethiopia, when I, I didn't go with you. Yeah, let me, I need to, to tell, tell that. Uh, I need to go back. We did spend 10 years ministering to the Metes, an unreached people group in India. And it was, it was amazing. We saw hundreds and hundreds of people pray to receive Christ. But at the end of those 10 years, as I began to measure and look back at, at what took place, and uh, I, I began to realize, because I did go back just to kind of to scout things out a little bit about four or five years later, and really concluded that if you, you were to go back to those villages that we went to where we shared Christ, where many people at least prayed the prayer, that you would find very little lasting fruit, which broke my heart. What does that mean? Uh, we, they were back living their old lifestyle, living as Hindus. That you wouldn't know they were ever got saved. You wouldn't know that, you would not know that the gospel was there. Now, maybe if I could get secret with them and say, where are you at with this? And I do believe many came to know Christ. Okay, I don't, I don't sure. question that. I think there are many people who are going to go to heaven... But if you were to go back, you would not see any, there wasn't anything that would tell, tell us that we had been there. And it broke my heart. And so we then decided, when we then, after this experience of looking at the map and deciding to go to Ethiopia, I knew we had to do something different. That somehow, and here's what I conclude, this is almost going to sound heretical, but that just sharing the gospel of salvation in Christ was not enough. Now I know that, doesn't, that sounds heretical. It is enough on, on one level, and I understand that. What's heretical mean? It means it's not in the Bible. You know what not, means? Yeah. yeah. He, see, he's like at PhD level, so we've got to bring it down for the rest no, of I'm us. No, I'm not that. No, no, so heretical means, yeah. heretical means you're Unbiblical. teaching something outside yeah. of the Bible, yeah. and you're going to hell. Go yeah, ahead. Exactly. I know it sounds that way. <laughs> this is working. Uh, that somehow we had to, to, to be a part of changing the culture, changing their lifestyle, impacting their economic situation. Because what I said was, is that the culture won the day. That even if they received Christ, there was so much pressure, there was so much fear, there was so much persecution upon them, they just had to go back to their lifestyle. So whether or not they ever came to know Christ, it would be hard to say. Again, I'm sure that some did. But that somehow a part of our efforts on the mission field, we had to do more than simply share the simple gospel salvation message. We had to bring something that would impact their culture 
and how they live. But we didn't really know how to, about, how to go about doing that. So basically, we did what everybody else did. We were going to bring stuff. We were going to somehow, we were going to take our resources and, and bring to what they didn't have. And hopefully that would help them. But I, that, I began to realize, I began to learn that would not work. In fact, I began to read some books, some books that really began to give us a clue that what that did actually was perpetuate this dependency mindset. Things like when helping hurts, white man's burdens, dead aid. And what those showed, and if you read, if you read any of those, I mean, it is, it is clear that most of the Western support, both secular and even Christian, in the end it actually, in many ways, hurts more than it helps. So that caught my attention. And, but where it, where it really came to a head was when we began to decide we want to put water wells in. And you were a part of that. Yeah, yeah we, showed um, a, uh, we showed a video yeah. here of the first water well we ever put in a village in Ethiopia. And all the people were just like, look, when we go to Ethiopia, we didn't know at first what it was, but the men don't do it. But the women and the children carry these five-gallon jugs of water half a day to a dirty stream to get water. We just walk up to our refrigerator and we get annoyed because it's not coming out fast enough. They walk half a day to fill these jugs, many times with contaminated water, and then they're walking back with these jugs. And they, five gallons of water is heavy. And they got these, these uh, sticks on their back carrying the water all the way back to the village. And this is the water they use to cook with, to bathe with, to do everything with. And, uh, and one out of every five infants die from a lack of access to water or access to clean water. It's an epidemic. So we put in a water well, yeah. and we showed a, villi- a video here of a village that got a water well for the first time that you helped buy. But what happened? Yeah, we found out. I'll never forget how they came about. I was sitting down with a bunch of leaders in this village, and they were sharing with me this water situation. And in front of these men, I just began to weep just began to weep, and I said, we've got to do something about this. So we came back, and we're going to, we're going to bring water wells to Ethiopia. We actually, our church invested about $70,000 in this water well. You guys invested some. That water well, sad to say, still not working, is it, Jim? Still not working. We joined the ranks about, over six, about 60%, maybe more, of the water wells that are put in in Africa are not working. Because at the end of the day, it's not their water well, it's our water well. And where it really came into a head for in their me, minds. In their yeah, minds. Yeah, in their minds. In their minds. It is theirs, but it's like we put it in. You gotta, so if something happens to it, something breaks down, you have to fix it. Where it really came into a head for me is when our water well broke down, they needed, it was like a $30 part. We finally began to say, you know what, you've got to be a part of this. And they refused to invest in, even though a village of some 8,000 people could have easily contributed they would not we said you know what you got to be a part of this and what i begin here's what i now it was a seventy thousand worthwhile education because what i begin to realize and see for the first time something that we in the u.s cannot even relate to is that there is a fatalism that's underneath this dependency which simply says that they live with this mindset that there is no hope for them to change this is how they feel is that there is no hope for their conditions to change unless someone from the outside comes and does something for them. That is so deeply embedded that they are stuck in their condition unless that begins to change. So we begin to say, that's what we have to address. And so what we've realized since then, and we have to come with this, that the gospel, the gospel not only carries with it the message of salvation, 
so that people can come to know God and go to heaven when they die. But it also carries with it a message of hope. That they have all the resources within themselves because they're created in God's image. Yeah. And they have creative minds, they have capacity, and they have natural resources within themselves to change that they can do that without our help. Now, I realize in some situations where there's disaster, the relief is needed, but in the ongoing situations, did you know that where we're seeking to bring water wells, how many, how many inches of rain do they have each year? And where we're bringing water wells, they have 33 inches of rain every single year. And yet girls, 10 years old, are walking four and five miles to get dirty, infested water. They have the resource, so we begin to say, we have to address that. And so we begin to come with that message. But we, just to tell them that message wasn't enough, we needed a mechanism. And we found this mechanism called savings groups. And so now, here are the two mechanisms that you guys have helped us, and thank you so much. And, and we're going to have Champ come and talk about these. We've got, we got a couple of videos for you to watch of people in Ethiopia that you have helped support through Champ and Joe who go over there all the time and they've implemented this mechanism that, that, that they've come up with that is actually elevating these people groups. Because it's yeah, not amazing. an attitude like, well, we want you to do it for us. In their psyche, they have been in poverty for generation after generation after generation. They don't believe in themselves. They don't believe that they can fix anything. They don't believe it. That's so hard for us as a Western mindset because we fix stuff. They never fix stuff because they don't believe they can fix stuff because they're broken in their soul and in their psyche. So what Joe is saying is it's a transformation of the mind that you're made in God's image. You're awesome. You can do this without our help. And that's what you guys have been. Yeah. Let's welcome Champ, Joe's son. So we, so we have two mechanisms, the, uh, the disciple-making movement, the simple church movement, which again, you guys have been a part of Which that. is church planting. Church planting, simple churches that, rapid, that expand rapidly, and then the savings groups. And both these mechanisms address certainly their heart to know Christ, and then address their heart so they can see, they can transform themselves, ultimately with or without us in many respects. Now what I respect so much about you two is for about the last five years, or about five years once we started this, you guys didn't know what you were doing. We didn't. You were trying to figure it out. We've got to fix this problem. And all the missions organizations are just getting people saved and leaving. Getting people saved and leaving. And you guys were saying, no, something's got to change because we've got to elevate a people group into dignity. Amen. And the way God created them. And you would try to share your vision. It was like, that's confusing. I don't get it. You guys don't even get it. I can tell you don't get it, so we don't get it. And you guys wouldn't give up on it, and you nailed it. And now it's bearing a ton of fruit. Yeah. Amen. Oh, why don't we, let's just scoot back just to, let's just boast in case it blows up. There we go. Boom. How are we doing? We good? Hey, that's, you guys are working some magic back there. Thanks for having me, folks. Um, just to put some context in uh, a little bit of what uh, my dad's sharing about these mechanisms of, of transformation. From early on, we knew that it was going to take a lot of people here to, to create a movement of transformation in, these, in, in Ethiopia. And so partners like Gathering Place and others have been, been on board with us. And um, we knew that 
we had to find something that was sustainable because when you're trying to get people like this body to be connected to something for long term, they've got to believe that it's actually going to produce this change. And we believed that it could happen when we believed, when we started to see the kind of change that could take place in families and villages. We believed it, it could happen. But it took, it takes, you know, uh, people like, like you all to, to stay committed, stay faithful, to believe even we, when you're not sure what we're, what we're actually doing. But the first mechanism, the first uh, strategy that we identified was this concept of simple churches. And we found some of the strongest organizations, two of the strongest organizations in Ethiopia to help us implement these strategies. And the simple church is, is basically a, a small group Bible study program. I'm going to show you a video in a second. But it is producing tons of fruit. It's producing over a thousand churches, simple churches in uh, a couple of districts in Ethiopia, and we're anticipating many more. So we'll show you a video to give you an idea of what's taking place. Anytime, anywhere, anyone. That's the power of the Discovery Bible Study Method and the answer to why many are beginning to follow Christ throughout Southeast Ethiopia, as believers and non-believers alike are given the opportunity to read God's Word and respond. The Holy Spirit is leading people to know and follow Christ. Does it countrysides of West Arsi, Ethiopia, bringing people together from diverse religious and cultural backgrounds, this Discovery Bible Study is comprised of young men and women from the growing industrial center of Shashameni. I was a Christian, but I wasn't really involved in anything. I only wanted to hang out with my friends. Since joining this group, this is the only place I want to be now. I have gained a lot from this group, and my life has been changed for the better. I came from a Muslim family. I was the first in my family to come to know Christ. When I accepted Jesus, my family cast me out. They know I'm going to this group, and they are slowly coming around to accepting me again. For Coquette, age was no barrier in joining a DBS group. I was the first in my family to know Jesus and learned about him through a Bible study group. At first, my family tried to pull me away from the group, but through my relationship with Jesus, my entire family has come to know him. Every day in the group, I feel happy knowing I'm developing a deeper understanding of God's Word and becoming so much closer to him. The countryside can feel like a world apart from the busy streets and storefronts of the city. However, the Holy Spirit is on the move here, in this quiet farming village north of Arsinageli. I came from an Orthodox family, and I was invited to this group by my sister four months ago. Since then, I feel like I have truly begun to develop a deeper understanding of God's Word. I am beginning to feel a love for Jesus form in the bottom of my heart, and I am so very happy. Brothers and sisters are inviting one another to participate in Discovery Bible studies and encouraging one another even when following Christ is a risk. I am from a Muslim family. One day I received a Bible from one of the group leaders. While reading it, God revealed himself to me and I immediately began to follow Jesus. When I did, my family became enraged with me and cast me out. I told them that nothing can come between me and Jesus. After seeing the changes in my life, they accepted me back, 
And now my sister comes to this group, and she also follows Jesus. The simple format makes the gatherings easily reproducible, and those with a willing, humble heart are encouraged to become leaders of new Discovery Bible study groups. Groups are multiplying throughout communities in this region, and every day men and women are drawing nearer to God and experiencing the joy of fellowship with Him and one another. So the traditional model was that we would go there, you'd get a bunch of people saved, then we would give thousands of dollars from America to build a building, they would all come to the building like we do. This model completely changes it to where you go into a person's home or a hut and you lead them to Christ and they go out and they lead their village family members or brothers and, or uh, friends to Christ and that, how, that hut or that house becomes the church for that village. And then they go to the next village and these things are just multiplying like this. So there are thousands of churches spreading out throughout Africa now through this model. Yeah, and our, our partners, the, the partners that we work with there, their strategy is to um, carry these churches from generation to generation, to shepherd them from gener- generation to generation, and to train new leaders at each generation, to train new church planters that can plant new churches, and they can train new leaders to plant new churches. In one area, we have there's nine generations of churches already, and this movement is just really starting to bud and to to grow. The second area that we have seen this transformation take place is through this model called savings groups. In Ethiopia, they call this model self-help groups, which is a little bit of a strange title for us. But it basically means for them that instead of looking to others from outside for help, they're looking to themselves for for help. They're helping themselves. And um, it's basically a concept where small groups are saving learning to save their own money for life cycle needs and for uh, income generation. And through the small groups, they're learning to use local resources to address local problems instead of looking for others to come and address the challenges they have in their village. So let me show you a quick uh, video about that as well. I like very much self-help approach, this concept. But self-help mean for me, it's a life. It's life. It's the way. Men, women, even children are having their lives transformed by the self-help group movement that is growing in West RC, Ethiopia. Seems like uh, don't give fish, uh, tell to them how to fish you empower and to use how to fish. So the concept is depend on the person attitude, the person attitude, the person thinking. That means it's possible anybody to do everything by himself. So the concept is, you know, empower the people's inside the software. I borrowed 50 burr and bought one chicken, which gave birth to eight more chickens. I sold three of the chickens to pay back my loan and the interest. I now have a small chicken business, with which I am able to buy food, clothes, and send all of my kids to school. None of this would have been possible without the self-help group. Self-help groups are so effective at changing lives because of their high direct beneficiary rate. There are currently 385 self-help groups in West RC. Each group contains 20 members, and with the average family size being 8 people. 
That's 61,600 lives that are being transformed in West Arce, Ethiopia. I borrowed money to buy one chicken. It then had more chickens. I sold them to pay back my loan and bought a goat. The goat had a baby and I fattened them up and sold them. With that money, I bought an ox. And I am now raising and fattening the ox. I no longer have to beg my parents for everything. I can now buy the things I need, like school books, for myself. The totally the people at Ethiopia is changed. Now they have dream. They know where is they, they know is their destiny. Before they was you know uh, expecting another thing from outsider. Always they begging, but now totally changes. There's an internal transformation that happens through families that are being impacted through the Simple Church strategy, but there's an external and a village-wide, a community-wide kingdom of God transformation that's happening through these, these savings groups. Not everyone is necessarily a Christian. In fact, it's breaking down religious barriers where you have uh, believers and Muslims meeting together and working together where they never would have before. But it's creating an environment where there is true kingdom of God transformation, kingdom of God principles, that lead to empowerment, lead to economic development, lead to social breakthrough, lead to social development and community transformation. Awesome. And this is Discovering Light, which is one of the missionaries you guys support. Amen? Amen. Thank thanks you. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and I just want to, again, say thank you. I, because you guys have been one of our key foundational core supporters. And, uh, you know, God might have brought somebody else, but if it wasn't for you guys in particular, uh, I don't know if we'd be here because we needed that strong support. So thank you guys once again. Awesome. Amen. Thank you guys. Yeah, the only, last thing I'd say is i um, love for you guys to stay connected. We love sharing in these opportunities. Um, afterwards, there, you can grab a little card from me that just tells you how you can stay on our email list. Every other week, we send out a, uh, a praise and, and prayer report of what God's doing. And um, Sometimes there's really exciting things, so if you'd like to uh, be a part of that, uh, grab me afterwards, and I'll get that to you. And you have these uh, flyers, yeah. too, down there, right? That's together. It, it just occurred to me, so here's, why don't you share, because you have two minutes, I'm looking at my watch, where, what their money then goes to, because you're, where your resources do help, it's, it's not going on the ground there, so why don't you share what their resources Yeah, the, the, the two areas, one is through the Simple Church Strategy, our partners, there's a group called Horn of Africa Evangelical Mission, and they train uh, leaders to plant churches that can plant churches that can train others to plant churches and it's that leadership and that training that we support um, we have a five-year plan with them we're about two and a half years on and also in the in the savings group model um, we we support facilitators that train these groups how to uh, save their own money and how to address challenges in their in their community together and once they're done training them then they move on and they train other groups and once that area is complete, then they move, then look to move on to another area in um, southeast Ethiopia among the R.C. Romo. Awesome. Right. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, I would like to say that we are absolutely a part of reaching the ends of the earth for Christ. There's nothing more important on this side of heaven than somebody giving their life to Jesus. Because no matter how much money you make here, no matter how many uh, things you accomplish, 
no matter the kind of car you drive, then the kind of house you live in, the kind of clothes you wear, the relationships you have, even with your spouse or with your kids, all of it is temporary. There's only one thing that is eternal, and that is your soul. And you'll either live eternity with Christ or without Christ in a place that the Bible calls heaven and hell. And I was talking to someone recently who said that, oh, yeah, well, I, I kind of like, I believe in them all. You know, all the spiritual leaders, they're all in the mix. And I said, well, sweetheart, Jesus does not want to be in the mix. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. That is an exclusive message. It's offensive, but it's true. And what happens is once you and I realize that Christ is the door to heaven because he is the only sinless man who ever lived, the only one who could pay for our sins because the death penalty is on all the human race. But Jesus removed our death penalty by dying in our place. And when you come to Christ and you receive him as your Savior, all of your sins are automatically forgiven He breathes the Spirit into your soul, and you become a child of God. It's a miracle. It's not joining a church. It's not joining a religion. It's a miraculous, what Jesus calls the new birth. And there may be somebody here in this house that has never given your life to Jesus before. And I'm talking, well, the Lord is talking to you right now. You will not get to heaven by your good works. Because the Bible says the penalty of sin is death. So the payment for sin is death, not good works. And so the only way to make it to heaven is by God's grace. And that's through receiving his son as your savior. So I want to ask if you'll just bow your heads with me for a moment. And you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus before. We've talked about Muslims in Ethiopia, but right now we're talking about you here in San Diego. You have to say yes to Jesus. Nobody can do it for you. It is a free will on your part. So you're here today. You've never given your life to Christ, and you want to know your sins are forgiven, that you're right with God, and then when you die, you'll go to heaven. If that's you, will you raise your hand right where you are right now in your seat? I've never received Jesus before, but I need to do it. I need to turn my life over to Christ with the forgiveness of my sins so I can know I'm going to heaven when I die. If that's you, will you raise your hand right where you are in your seat high so I can see it? Anybody in this room? Okay. I don't see anybody having raised their hand, but I'm going to ask that the prayer teams come down front. And if you want to learn more about what it means to be a Christian or you want to come down and be prayed for, even as a person who's what I call a pre-Christian, someone who's not yet come to Christ, you come down, our prayer teams are going to be ready to pray for you. If you have sickness in your body or disease, incurable disease, a struggle, you need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you want to experience more of God, our prayer teams are coming down right now. And they are ready to pray with you. And Jesus releases miracles through these prayer teams.
Jesus said this, where two or more of you agree on anything they ask, my Father in heaven will do it. We've seen incurable diseases healed in this house. We've seen ears open, eyes open. We've seen some pretty miraculous stuff. But you need to come down and ask for prayer and agree and watch and give Jesus a chance to do something miraculous in your life. Amen.